The Catholic Church has been under attack both from outside and within throughout her entire history. But we live in 2022 today. So why continue to be Catholic? Stay tuned. For today's handshake, we're going to be talking about preserving order in your life. St. Maximilian Kolbe, one of my favorite saints, once wrote in his journal, preserve order and order will preserve you. I think there's some truth in that statement. Um, I stand to struggle with order. I'm not a very organized person. I can be forgetful at times. But having systems for things, having habits that you form, uh, can go a long way to helping you stay organized. Um, there's an old saying in the military as well, uh, a place for everything and everything in its place. And it really helps us to achieve more in life and to be more efficient when we have good habits of order and cleanliness in our life. So something to strive for as men. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are your hosts, Sam Guzman and John Heinen. We are grateful that you are here. We have a quick favor to ask. If you like these episodes, please write us a review on podcast player of your choice, be it Apple or Spotify or Google or any other ones. It really does help spread the word because it helps the algorithm. Share it with your friends. That goes a long way. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe or click that bell button. That'll help us as well. And finally, it, uh, it costs to make these high-quality episodes. We want to continue to do them for men like you. So if that um, you know, inspiration or discernment is upon you to help us reach more men, we'd encourage you to head over to patreon.com slash Catholic Gentlemen and take a look at the tiers that we have to offer. We're not talking about you know, $200 a month. We're talking about $5 a month, $10 a month. Every little bit helps us go a long way. We are grateful for our sponsors, and we appreciate your time. Yeah, so today we want to talk about a, a tough topic, but it's one that's on a lot of people's minds, and that's that the church is hurting. Um, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. There are people kind of confused right now or kind of wounded by some of the actions of people in the church uh, hierarchy um, and, and different priests, uh, scandals and things coming out. So and a lot of people might say, you know, why stay Catholic? Like, what's the point? Like, uh, the church has is, is, is wounded me personally, maybe, or whatever the case might be, and, and that question is on people's mind. Um, on the other hand, there's some people who say, why even be Catholic to begin with? Mm -hmm. There's all these spiritual options out there now. The world is like kind of a big buffet of spiritualities, and I, why can't I just pick and choose whatever resonates most with me? Why be Catholic at all? So I think it would be kind of a provoking discussion today, but we kind of want to talk about why be Catholic and then why stay Catholic if you are. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And so... You know, it's it's good for if you aren't aware that I was born and raised um, Catholic, Sam was not. And yes. so Sam 
converted to the faith. We are both here as um, men struggling and trying to live a devout Catholic life. And but why, right? And I, I came with this this wrestle within my own heart uh, in college. And I was being attacked for my faith, and I really started reading the books of the um, apologists. So there's no quick one answer. I think both Sam and I could write a whole book on, on you know, why be Catholic. But I would say that um, for me, primarily, because Christ founded a church, mm-hmm. and all the signs and all the study and all the research that I did point to the Catholic Church being the church that Christ founded. Mm-hmm. And that authority that given to the church to do everything from create and define which books of um, um, the Bible were holy and inspired, right? Or sorry, which books of the time should be included in the holy yes. inspiration and holy writ of the Bible needed a higher authority to do that, right? There's no way that God could just inspire one person to go through the 300 plus books that were happening during that time and put them down into the books that we have in the Old and New Testament right now, that we needed an authority to guide that. We need an authority all the way up through today. And I think St. John Henry Newman said it really well in his Apologia, right? When he finally converted to uh, Catholicism and he was um, wrestling with this issue of authority because he had built his life on kind of, you know, trying to uh, uh, be fair within the the teachings, deepening in his understandings of scripture and of of the um, Anglican, you know, faith. But in the end, when he finally converted to Catholicism and he accepted the authority that the church had, he said, finally, in my life, my opinion no longer matters. Mm -hmm. And that was just so uh, freeing for him, right? That he was no longer the the magisterium or the um, judge, jury, and executioner, if you will, of all things faith-related, that he could connect himself to this longstanding history and tradition. And so that's where my mind first goes when it, it comes to this discernment. And I know that for me, in my personal experience, when I've helped individuals come into the faith and come into you know, the fullness of the faith within the Catholic tradition um, in the Catholic Church, authority is one of those big things things, those big stumbling blocks. And when when that stumbling block falls, it's like a whole new and enjoyable and, and, and just exciting world for them within in their faith life. So again, that's a little bit where I, I talk about, about yeah. right from the beginning of why be Catholic. And I know we're going to go further into that. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. So for me, just a brief, very brief uh, kind of testimony of my own experience would be Protestants take too much for granted. Having grown up Protestant, I can say this yeah. with confidence, but they just assume too much. They assume that like the King James Bible fell out of heaven, leather bound, gilded pages, <laughs> you know, just dropped out of heaven intact, yeah. you know, and then we just, our responsibility is just to sit down with it and figure everything out. Yeah. But they take the divinity of Christ for granted. They take the Trinity for granted. They take all kinds of Christian beliefs as just a given, yeah. 
No one ever had to wrestle with this in human history. No one had to, there was no struggle with heresy or anything like that. It just kind of, Christianity as we know it today just kind of fell out of heaven in one piece. And, you know, we're just supposed to spread the good news or whatever. What we see in church history, though, is that things were often very messy. Mm. And like you said, like there was these church councils that would often respond to heresies and through the authority of the church would resolve these questions. And we see that beginning even in the book of Acts, the first council of Jerusalem, you know, where there's a problem arises, a question arises. And then the apostles said, the Holy Spirit has, it seems to us and to the Holy Spirit, you know, this is the answer. Like, and they definitively answered the question. So even there you see in the book of Acts, the church exercising that authority, kind of flexing those muscles, so to speak, to resolve the challenges and heresies that arose. And that process has continued for 20 centuries. But again, Protestants don't think that there were ever any questions, there were ever any heresies that needed to be addressed. It's all just kind of assumed. Mm -hmm. And, well, who resolved this? Well, no one. We just kind of knew from the beginning. Well, it wasn't that simple. And the the church had to clarify these things with ever-increasing clarity through time. Um, So there's always been uh, evidence of the church using its authority to resolve difficult questions, not uh, to necessarily create something new but to defend the original teaching entrusted to the church but beyond that i want to kind of say another dimension too you look at a lot of uh world religions and they're kind of um evidences of man striving to find god Mm. it's to a large extent human effort seeking the divine like there's always been this awareness in our hearts that the, the god exists um, and pretty much atheism is a very modern phenomenon. Yeah. Like by and large throughout history, atheism wasn't even a thing. Like everybody believed in God. It was just kind of a given. Um, but then the question becomes, how do I know him? How do I relate to him? And so these world religions developed to answer that question. But what they forgot was while they were searching for God, God was also searching for mm-hmm. humanity, for human beings. And that's what we see in Jesus Christ is there's this, not only this striving to know God, but also this descending revelation from God in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is kind of that definitive answer to that human longing for God. How can we know God? How can we relate to him? And Christ says, here I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So that's kind of what makes Christianity a little unique is that there's a historical manifestation of full revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ. And like you said, what did Christ do? Did he just come, deliver his message and go? No, he founded a church. And we see through throughout the New Testament, uh, the books of the Gospels, him instituting these sacraments and in ordaining these ministers of yeah. these sacraments which are the apostles, that apostolic authority. And he commissions them, you know, in the Great Commission. He passes, takes his authority that he received from the Father and hands it on to his disciples and says, go and make disciples of all nations. So he gives that, he um, deputizes the apostles to continue his work through time, through the rest of 
human history. And that's what the church is, is and that's what bishops are and priests are. are they're um, deputies, so yeah. to speak, of Christ, exercising with his authority in time uh, the ministry that Christ began on earth, and in they're continuing it in human history. And we see that, uh, you know, every time I see a sheriff's deputy, I kind of think of that, because the sheriff is the one with the real authority, yeah. But he's deputizing his agents to carry on his work, um, and it's very much like that with Christ. Christ has ascended to the right, you know, hand of the Father, and he's ruling and reigning in heaven. But his deputies, his ministers on earth, continue his work through the centuries, and that is the life of the church. So, to me, it, it's a clear uh, delegation that happens at the Great Commission. And that apostolic authority didn't end with the apostles dying. They ordained their own deputies, and, and that was what we call apostolic succession. Yeah. And so that ministry that started as a very seed, a seed in the beginning, you know, um, Jesus talked about the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. Yeah. Yet when it grows up, it's the largest of all trees, um, uh, at least in the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but uh, it's the largest of all trees. And it's like, that's what we see in the Gospels is like the prototype of the church, the seed of the church. But it's all there. Yeah. You know, and all of the seven sacraments are present in the Gospels. And that seed of apostolic authority, that deputization, that uh, commissioning of the apostles to carry on Christ's work is all there in the Gospels. And then through the centuries, that grows and flowers into the church that we see today, which is a global institution. So for me, that's kind of what I discovered. Mm. Now, I will say, you know, about the, the, the scandals and sins, of course, I encountered all that coming into the church, and it was there's a sense in which that's very grievous. Um, but we can talk a little bit about why we stay stay Catholic here in a minute. But that's yeah. how I discovered the church and kind of the truth that I discovered coming into the church. I think that's great, and I appreciate you sharing that because it is it's very beautiful and how you were truly seeking truth, you know, and that our Lord inspired you to 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 probe the depths of history and of teaching and of faith to to come to this conclusion that the catholic church um is you know the one true church founded by christ and so now talking more about the essence of the faith something that i really like to talk about is that in my and I have done a lot. I've, I've um, learned a lot about Mormonism and about Islam and about different Protestant sects, primarily because I wanted to be able to um, have healthy arguments and debates, but also because I need to be open to the fact that I don't know everything, right? right? And the church has never came to me and asked my opinion on anything, praise God. Right? I mean, uh, it's, they're missing out. And, um, and so because of that, I, I have to, you know, maintain a humble um, acceptance of, of that reality. But when I look at all these other world religions or even Christian religions, I find so much that is lacking within them that in the essence of the faith, I find the, and I've, I've heard this said a handful of times, uh, the, the three notes of a chord 
um, within of a perfect chord within the church, and that's the truth, goodness, and beauty, right? And I know any um, fans of Saint, uh, sorry, of of Benedict Rochelle. Um, that he used to talk about the unity of them, right? Yeah. That maybe it wasn't one of these. But here's the point, is that we have we have an intellect, we have will, we have emotion. And so very often I see these other groups just paying lip service to things like forgiveness, you know, where it's, it's yes, we're all forgiven, but the moment you fall off the the um, the rail or you you sin a second or third time, you're almost ostracized by by these groups. And the point is that the church is always open to forgiveness. Why do you need to go to confession frequently? I would say go at least once a month, if not more frequently, is my encouragement. Is because we always fall, we always fail, and the church and her ever loving ever loving mercy and grace provided to her by God is there to receive us with open arms and to receive, um, you know, our, our, our sinful and our brokenness. And so just talking briefly about uh, truth, goodness, and beauty is, is this, again, this, this life force within the church. What other faith understands the, these different signs in creation that can point us to God, you know, through our senses and through our intellect and our will. And so I, as a musician, uh, was at doing my master's degree and was uh, really working on my beauty, right? On on my, my connection to beauty as a professional musician. And... When I had to learn, and it was very interesting, a friend of mine decided to do for her master's thesis the music of the Reformation. And I just, she, I, she was totally clueless. And today, till this day, she's, she's clueless. But for me, that was a challenge. And so I decided to do my master's thesis on the music of the Counter-Reformation, right? And we went through Palestrina and Lassus and, and, and these sort of things. And as I was going into that, this realization opened up within me that it was the church that has protected music for 2,000 years. And I know that you'll get, uh, and some of our listeners might even have this, is like, yeah, but the church also stifled a lot of music. Yeah, but for good reason, because it was the church that was working to protect uh, you know, an infiltration of barbarism into the faith. And why the music of the Counter-Reformation was so important was because Martin Luther's anthem was a bar drinking song and um, that he put great, you know, uh, scriptural words to. But the church listened to that and they were like, but when we're in the holy sacrifice of the mass, we can't have people thinking about what they did on Saturday night. We need them to be thinking about the glory of the Eucharist. And if they start hearing, you know, these sort of songs and this sort of music of, of the bar drinking, you know, time, uh, we're missing the point of the, of the beauty of the liturgy and of the point of music in the mass. But, you know, so this whole idea of beauty opened up. And beauty, um, I would say for me, is not uh, the primary transcendental um, for me, really, I would say truth is for me, right? And I think, you know, I won't, don't speak for you, but for me, it's, it's that probing the depths of theology and in wrestling with some of the things, um, Anselm or Thomas Aquinas or Don Scotus or Bonaventure or things like that, that these guys wrote, I remember just being 
blown away by their intellect. I mean, it had, for me, it had to start with apologists today that um, reading apologists, and I, I've said frequently, when I started to read apologists, Catholic apologists, for the sake of defending my faith, I found answers to all the questions I never asked but should have been asking. Mm-hmm. And that sort of openness to truth and everything really brought this um, this uh, this love of the faith into my heart and and to the point where leaving the faith has has never actually entered in from from that point. Um, and so I don't want to I don't want to miss goodness um, but I I I bring this up as what other institution in this world has this depth of knowledge, this depth of history. And I remember arguing with some Mormon uh, friends of mine, they, they lack so much solid theology. Mm-hmm. And their answer to me was, well, the, the Catholic Church has 2,000 years, so in 2,000 years, we'll have that depth of theology. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not an answer, but I mean, it was. But anyway, so these sort of connections, right, and we could go into more of each of those transcendentals, but um, I just find that as, as such a compelling case for, you know, the authenticity and the um, truth with the Catholic Church, you know, upholds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The other thing I want to mention, touch briefly on is is the idea of tradition, too. Um, um, a lot of Baptist circles, you'll often hear this idea of, well, it's just me and my Bible. Mm. I'm just going to sit down with my Bible and I'm going to figure out God's truth. Um, and any question I have, any theological problem I have, I'm just going to sit down with my Bible mm. and the Holy Spirit will tell me exactly what to believe. The problem with that is that's not what happens. Yeah. They end up believing Baptist principles. Now, a Presbyterian Calvinist will sit down with the same Bible and they'll come up. They'll come up with Presbyterian Calvinist principles, mm-hmm. um, and as a you know, well, a free will Baptist will come to completely different conclusions. Why is that? Because they're part of a tradition, mm-hmm. and you bring that tradition with you as the lens through which you read Scripture. Now, the point being, not that you know it's all relative, and the point is, we're always part of a tradition. Yeah. So the question is not no tradition or a tradition, but what tradition? Mm. Because Baptists have a tradition, even though they deny it. They really do. I mean, you listen to Baptist preachers, they all talk the same. They all walk the same. They dress the same. They teach the same exact principles. You know, you listen to a Calvinist, they have their own tradition, going back to John Calvin, you know, and, but they, they have their tradition and it's, the handed down from generation to generation as this is what we must believe. Yeah. Um, and of course they say that it, it's extracted from scripture, but it's not. They're reading it back into scripture, but Catholics do that too. In fairness, yes. like we read our tradition into scripture. However, what we would say is different is the scripture is actually a part of our tradition. Yeah. Like scripture itself is part of tradition. Mm. So that's that's something that you know Baptists can't account for where the Bible came from. It just just was, you yeah. know. And and Calvin is the same thing. Like they just take it for granted. They assume the Bible. They presuppose it. Um, but at any rate, so the question is: You're part of a tradition. How legitimate is your tradition? Mm-hmm. Does it go back to Jesus and the apostles, or does it go back to Martin Luther or John Calvin? Or, you know, an Anabaptist, um, uh, like uh, Menno Simons or something yeah. like that. So, you know, there's, there's always a tradition. That's how human <coughs> beings function. 
So it's not yeah. a fault or a flaw, just a reality. Mm. So the question is, which one, and is it legitimate? And it does go back to Christ and the apostles. And I think for me, the answer is, is clearly the Catholic Church does, whereas there's no way a Lutheran could claim that. That's so, right. Um, at any rate, yeah, that's just another... this is good, because that's what we see with those who are attacking the Church from the outside today. So I had a, um, albeit brief, conversation with an individual that told me recently that if the Catholic Church believes that everybody else is damned, then that is a vengeful, spiteful God, and he wants nothing to do with our faith. Now, of course, I went through and I explained to him that, you know, we must, we have to unpack this, you know, no salvation outside the church. You know, we have to unpack this. And the church doesn't believe that we are, we have the the truth and the only truth and nobody else has anything. Um, it's not a zero-sum game, right? Or something along those lines. Where yeah. it's not like the church has 100% of the truth and Lutherans have 0% of the truth. Right, not at right. all, right? Um, Lutherans have um, a large part of the truth and we can find a lot of commonalities with them. Um, but the Catholic Church has the fullness of the truth, and and I um, I went through this uh, this explanation because he actually this individual um, has an open mind, right? And immediately mm-hmm. I think of G.K. Chesterton and how you know we have to have an open mind, you know, but but eventually we have to bite down on something, you know, or open mouth or something. Yeah. That G.K. Chesterton statement of of having an open mouth, but eventually we have to find something that we want to bite down on. Yeah. And that's that tradition that you're talking about because it's this, it's this great um, trick of the devil that you can be more open to all different world religions, this universalist idea that um, all religions have degrees or varying degrees of truth, but no religion has just a truth. It's like, well, then how do we know what truth is? How do we get down to the depth of what is true and what we should believe? Because that belief right there is not something that can that can hold water. It's not something I want to be a part of. And um, and there's certainly no, no history or precedence for that. And so... Um, I think that's uh, you know an excellent an excellent point. So yeah, and I will say you know obviously we are passionate about what we're talking about, and it's something that's important to both of us. But I want to talk about just briefly um, the reality that the church is both human and divine divinely instituted Excellent. because you could say well that's all fine and good but look at the church today it's a mess or mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. um you know pick your time period but i think w- the while we're saying these things i want to also acknowledge that idealizing the church can also lead to deep wounds and as a zealous convert i had this picture perfect idea of what the church was oh it was just pristine like this incredible flawless institution and then i saw the reality and i was like wait a minute there's sinners in the church like this isn't supposed to happen and so like the very zeal that we have for the faith can sometimes lead to kind of an idolization of what the church should be or a a false view of what the church should be. So then we're disappointed with the reality. Mm-hmm. And another example of this can be, not only can we do this in the present, but we can do it with the past. Mm-hmm. Well, pick your century. 
you know, oh, the, the Counter-Reformation, that, you know, Council of Trent and after, like, that was the perfect, that was like the height of Catholicism. Well, actually, there were still corrupt bishops back then. There were still priests, you know, betraying their vows of celibacy. There were still failures all over the place. Yeah. There was still greed and corruption. Um, okay, okay, well, that, that's, that's a, that was then, you know, but the 12th century. Oh, man, we had St. Francis of Assisi. We had, yeah. we had all the, we had St. Clair. We had, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. You know, we had St. Dominic. Oh, my goodness. What a wonderful time in church history. And then you start reading the the history of those time periods and some of the things were actually going on. Yeah. And oh my goodness, that place was that that time period was filled with just as much rotten and corruption and, you know, sin and failure as any other period in church history. Okay, well, let's go back to the early church. Yeah. Okay? Cuz they they were all saints back then, right? How far we have fallen to the same thing with the early church. I mean, look at St. Paul. Half of his letters, his epistles, are rebukes to the early churches, churches. Yes. for their infighting and for their, you know, even condemning people for getting drunk at communion. Yeah. Like, how scandalous is that? You know, I need some, someone else who's sleeping with his father's wife, you know, like horrible scandals, yeah. you know. And, and th- so very early in the church, and then some of the great saints that we've talked about, you know, yeah. St. Athanasius, and they were constantly fighting, stamping out heresies. Yeah. I mean, it's been one period of, of sin and corruption. And in fact, many of the saints are remembered because they were different than their age. Yeah. The rest, you know, the church was sinful and corrupt, but the saints weren't. And that's why we remember the saints. But um, the point being that sin has always been in the church. I mean, there's some, some, some stories from church history that would curl your hair, you yeah. know, and, and yet um, it, simultaneously with that there has been light and goodness and beauty and truth shining forth from the church and we see that I, the metaphor I like to use is like it's like the treasure buried in the field there's a lot of dirt and rocks and junk covering it up a lot of times but the treasure is still there yeah no I love it I, I, I couldn't agree more and I just um, yeah we are all created in the Imago Dei we are all created but we all are sinful. Yes. And that sin can really come out in many very wicked ways. There's a whole period of the church called the pornocracy where yes. every pope, you know, was a mess. And yeah. uh, and and I like what you're saying a lot because so kind of coming up to the present day here, it was just really resonating with me is this this idea that um, the uh, Latin mass the traditional Latin Mass is um, is perfect, and and I love the traditional Latin Mass, and I know you do too, and it's 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 been in our hearts for for so long, and I remember finding just the fullness and completeness when I first attended. But I'm not ignorant to believe that in the 1910s or 19 1890s or 1875s or whenever whatever it is that the Latin Mass was perfect and didn't have problems. And yeah. I know you read the lives of St. Alphonsus, and you, I mean, and he was in the 1600s, um, where their Mass was just being, it was a joke, you know? And you, even Padre Pio, uh, some of the other people that, you know, people flocked to his Mass because it was done reverently and beautifully. Right. We live in a time right now where the Mass is so politicized that um, those who are practicing the Latin Mass 
do so with with strict observance, and it's beautiful. And we are the we are the the great recipients of that that beauty. Um, but you know, does that mean that uh, there are not other opportunities for you know experiencing Christ? And and I likewise appreciate the um, personal ordinariate of the chair of Saint Peter Mass. Right, it's a beautiful, reverent Mass, and something that's just. Um, uh, filled with Christ and and tradition, yeah. and I find that that so beautiful. So like now, kind of coming up to this modern question of why stay Catholic when it appears that the hierarchy is attacking tradition mm-hmm. and attacking mass. And I don't want to disagree with those people who yeah. feel that way. It does truly ex- seem like that, but. Um, but what are we called to do, and, and what is what is our um, what is our responsibility in, in in these times? So yeah, yeah. Well, there's a few things uh, I, I think that are guideposts. One is fidelity mm. to the truths that we have received. You know, Saint Vincent of Lorenz had a great rule. You know, he said, "What is tradition? Tradition is what has been believed always." everywhere and by all. Mm. So if you hear a bishop or a priest spout something that's never been said by any bishop or priest before, or even a pope for that matter, um, and it's completely contrary to our tradition, you know, you ask, uh, you know, 13th century Catholic if, you know, this is... um, something that they believe, then they would say no. Like, you know what I'm saying? There's a sense of the faith that we all have, the census fidelium, you know, like we, we can just, we know what's Catholic and what isn't, or at least we should. (laughs) But we should know, we should, red flags should go up when someone starts spouting UN talking points or something like that. Yes, exactly. And we should be able to have the discernment to say, I'm not going to hold fast to that. That is not part of our tradition. Like St. Paul said in the very early church, he said, hold fast to the tradition as received by word of mouth or by letter. And so I think we have a fidelity, a responsibility to hold fast, fast to the truths that we've received. Yeah. And, you know, we, we do have the catechism as a guidepost. It's not an infallible document or anything like that, but it is a helpful guidepost. And if you, let's say, oh, well, I don't trust the new catechism, you know. Right. Okay, well, look to an older one, fine. But we have these compendiums, these summaries of the faith that are very helpful to know what has been received. Um, And again, if something is contrary to that, red flag should go up. Now, does that mean we should be completely closed off to anything and everything that's in any way like a new expression or anything like that? No. There's always been new things introduced through church history. Like, for example, the offertory prayers in the Latin Mass that we have right now, the 1962 Missal, didn't appear until like the 1400s or something like that. And likewise, you know, the 1962 Missal that Latin Mass parishes use is itself a modification. Um, It completely shortened the the rites for Holy Week and things like that, and there are some revisions there. Um, and likewise, uh, the the traditional breviary that a lot of traditional Catholics use was heavily modified by Pope Pius X yeah. and completely rearranged all the psalms and everything. So throughout history, there's always been modifications and changes. So we can't say that absolutely nothing new is ever allowed. Like that, that would invalidate 
99% of church history. Yeah. But we do have to say is what is new uh, in continuity with what came before. And unfortunately, unfortunately, that burden has fallen on us because the church right now is going through a period where it's speaking with an uncertain voice. Mm. Some shepherds are saying one thing while another well shepherd stated. will completely contradict them. And that's confusing for the faithful. Ideally, we're not supposed to have to sort that out. We're yeah. supposed to let the leaders do that for us. Unfortunately, that burden has fallen on us to some degree. However, if all else fails, embrace a simple faith. Yeah. You know, I, re I was reading recently about some, some Japanese converts um, uh, around the World War II era. They had such a simple faith, yeah. just the rosary and the Eucharist. Like that was the heart of their faith. You know, it, the Blessed Mother's intercession and receiving the Eucharist. And it was so simple. And I remember uh, St. John Bosco's dream. Yeah. He talks about the, this church being assaulted in this violent storm. Yeah. And he said the church was saved by passing, you know, anchoring itself to two pillars, the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Eucharist. Really, if that's all your face consisted of was like praying the rosary and receiving the Eucharist, you got you could be, you'd go to heaven and be a saint. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be complicated. We don't have to torture ourselves with all these these questions. And, and I think a lot of people, due to the influx of information that we have in yes. these times, yeah. it's like a cross. Like we know too much. You know, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I do very much, especially with mass media, right? Yeah. Where I mean all the way up until the last hundred years, a bishop could say something in France and us in America would never know right. that that bishop said that. Yes. You know, the Pope could say something in, in, in thousands of years in church history and, and it would take years to get to some other place yes. around the globe. Never mind the telephone aspect of, you know, did he really say this and was that, you know, exactly what his intention was and let alone asking a question back. And so we put on this this hot seat, this, you know, like you were just saying, this overwhelming amount of information that, that can honestly debilitate us from what God wants us to do in life, right? Yes. We can get addicted to... Um, listening to different um, intelligent YouTube personalities or, you know, St. John Chrysostom said that the, you know, the, the, um, what did he say? The the road to, or the pathway to hell is is laden with the skulls of priests and bishops. Yes. Like, yeah, he's talking in the three hundreds, yeah. and you know, and we can we can kind of build up this sort of like um, antagonistic and and frustrated attitude um, by the church, but that's not bringing people into the church. No. That's not spreading the truths and the love and the beauty of the church. And and, and I don't bring this up to say that. We don't need to have this open mind of rational thought. Um, but at the same time, is if it's making you a dark, bitter, and, and unjoy-filled person, you need to, you need to con reconnect with right. the Eucharist and the Rosary and Our Lady yeah. and asking them to guide you because, because that doesn't bring anybody closer to Christ. It just yeah. constantly creates further and further divide. So. Yeah, like a simple rule is like, is, this, is what I'm doing producing greater peace and tranquility? All the saints universally say that peace is the prerequisite for spiritual growth. That's right. Interior peace. So is it producing peace or is it producing agitation mm -hmm. and vexation and anxiety? 
if it's vexation and anxiety, then it's not helping your soul. Yeah. Cut it out of your life. And if that's reading some blog that's getting you all ooh, up in arms and, yeah. and your soul just shriveling up as you read about all this horrible scandals and things like that, then you really need to take inventory, do like an examine of, examination of conscience yeah. and just really see where, you know, if this is helping you love Christ more. Yeah. Or this is this anger and bitterness, can it produces an adrenaline rush that can be addicting. Yes. We get addicted to the high of anger mm. and bitterness. And you can see this in, in, in uh, there's people who've literally been consumed by this to the point where they either lose their faith altogether yeah. um, or they, they stop going to Mass. Or I, I know some Catholics that I'm Catholic, but I don't even go to Mass anymore right. because the whole thing is just rotten yeah. or whatever. Um, how is that Catholic? Yeah. You know, how is that participating in the body of Christ? Um, or they just give up on faith altogether and say, yeah. I don't like, I don't believe in, in the church anymore or whatever. So be very careful because to some extent it is helpful for us to know about these things, to have our eyes wide open, to be kind of wise as serpents. Yeah. But we need to not forget to be innocent as doves either. Yeah. You know, we need to maintain that simplicity of soul in our you know, our approach to God. Yeah. So um, I, I do, I don't want to stick my head in the sand and say the church is all great. Everything's fine. There's no problems. There's no scandals. There's no confusion. Right. Everybody's, everybody's great, happy, happy, you know, wonderful uh, church. No, I, I acknowledge the deep wounds and I've struggled with it myself. Yeah. I've had some dark nights of the soul over some of the things that I've read about or heard yep. about in the church. Um. But I think we also have to realize that the principles haven't changed. Yeah. The things that the saints said are still true. Yes. Whether you live in 2022 or, you know, 1222. Yeah. The principles are the same. And if you follow the, the path that the saints took, you'll still be a saint today. Yeah. In fact, you know, there's probably saints being forged right now in the trials that we're going through. Yes. So how will you be remembered? Will you be forgotten as some bitter crank who had no joy, no zeal, no love for Christ? Or will you be remembered as one who radiated love and joy and said, this is what the faith looks like? Yeah. Faith is not intellectual propositions. It's a life lived. Yeah. And are you going to be someone who says, I am going to be the embodiment of what a Catholic should be? In 2022, even when everything solid and sure seems to be shaken at some level, I'm going to live the truth, and I'm going to radiate Christ wherever I go. I think that's great, and I, I want to just come back to this peace versus agitation piece, because I've likewise experienced it myself, where <clears throat> I um, agreed with a personality, with a voice you know, inside the church, so strongly that I just hated everything that didn't align to yes. this this truth in many cases. But it was not breeding peace within me, right? I had no peace within me. I actually had to stop 
um, paying attention to a couple outlets for that exact reason for years because I just found myself becoming bitter and agitated and angry and frustrated and 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 not building within peace, right? There's There wasn't peace for God to work in, in my heart and to transform me and to make me a better and holier person. And so this is not to... Um, pushed aside some of the the errors or the um, the evils within within the church, um, but it is to order things rightly and order our place within it rightly. Right? I am not being called to fix the errors of every bishop, including the one in Malaysia, you know, right, right. and uh, or, the, you know, the one in 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 Germany or something like that. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't even speak German. There's a lot of heretics in Germany. <laughs> right. there, but, uh, exactly. Yeah. We need another St. Boniface to head over there. And and so it is it's it's what is God calling you? What is your interior life like? And that's really what we we go back to, right? Um, I, I, not supportive of, of you know jumping ship and going to you know the Eastern Orthodox or going to um, Sede Vacante or you know the seat being vacant or these sort of things, right? These extremes that people are taking um, because they the hurt and the pain that they are experiencing. We have to go back to our relationship with Christ and what we're doing and what he's calling us to and whether whether that's happening inside of peace and bringing a greater peace and a greater transformation of our soul to experience the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't agree more. So. Yeah. And I want to say well, like one other thing, like the criticism I, I often hear of people who say what we're saying now is you're just uh, sticking your head in the sand and ignoring all these problems. Yeah. We have to know. Well, what I want to say is Look, that's so easy. Like, human beings have a negativity bias. It's like a survival mechanism, right? Like, if you live in the jungle, if you don't pay attention for tigers, uh, you're going to get eaten. So we look out for problems. We look out for danger. That's just kind of how we're wired mentally and psychologically. So it's easy to find fault. You know, if, if you live in a diocese, you're, you can find problems in that diocese very quickly. You can find problems in your parish you can find people you don't like. That's so easy. Yeah. What's hard is looking for the good. Mm. What's hard is finding the, the little seeds of grace that God has everywhere. And the truth is, grace and blessings and goodness uh, and beauty, they're everywhere. Yeah. But we don't, we're not trained to look for them. Um, so all we see is evil and negativity and darkness. And we're not looking for the good. We have to train ourselves, reorient our vision to look for the good. Yeah. A, you know, I say this often, but we see what we're looking for. We get what we expect. Yes. So if you expect problems and you ex you're looking for problems, you'll always find them, always. Yeah, exactly. But if you look for goodness, you look for beauty, you look for truth, you look for grace, you look for holy individuals, yeah. you will find them. The problem is good, evil likes to make a lot of noise. It loves to draw attention to itself. Yeah. The devil's kind of throwing a tantrum. It's like, look at me, look at me, I'm so bad. Mm -hmm. And ignore that good stuff happening over here. Whereas goodness is often humble and quiet and unnoticed. But if you train yourself to look for it, you'll be shocked and amazed. You know, you'll, you'll oh, there's, a, there's like a living saint in my parish. Mm -hmm. I never knew, you mm -hmm. know. But if you train yourself to look for that, 
you'll see it. Um, and so there's goodness and beauty everywhere. Feed your soul on that. Train your mind to look for that. Be grateful. Give thanks. thanks. Notice these things. Um, you know, I, I go back to this frequently. It says in, in, in the canon of the, or the preface of the Mass, you know, let us lift up our hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let's give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just. It is truly right and just our duty mm-hmm. and our salvation. Mm-hmm. Always to give you thanks, Almighty God. Yeah. We're saved by giving praise and thanks. Amen. And if you're just looking at all, you're just reading and scrolling Twitter and getting into these debates and sticking it to the heretics mm-hmm. and, you know, this bishop scandal and this priest got busted and, you know, this corruption and this millions disappeared from this diocese and went who knows where and, oh, the church is, oh, evil, 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 yeah. evil everywhere. And look, how are you going to give praise and thanks to God when you're feeding your soul on filth? Mm. You won't. Yeah. So this is absolutely essential. This is our duty and our salvation to look for the good and to give thanks for it when we find it. So this is not a neutral thing. This is not... We have to be on guard against this addiction to negativity. Yes. Because it can destroy your soul. It can destroy your soul. Well... I think that was great. And in summation, I mean, this is why we are Catholic. And, you know, what brought us to the faith, what encouraged our our belief in the faith, and what continues to um, give life and uh, a certain vibrancy and, um, and belonging to to the Catholic Church and our faith today. So, yeah. Sam, that was very well stated. I don't want to just mic drop. I don't want to say anything else. That was great. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Well, I think we're out of time for, for our nightcap, right? Finishing out this episode. So if this is your first time joining us, uh, we like to do these nightcaps where we just think about, you know, things that we as men appreciate and, uh, and various different things. And so today we have um, an awesome leather journal. A leather journal emblazoned with the beautiful Catholic gentleman logo, be a man, be a saint. No, it doesn't have to be ours. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just agree. Make that make that obvious. But a leather journal... Uh, this one is great because it has replaceable pages. Yes. Um, some I have some beautiful leather journals at home. They bring me a lot of joy just to look at them and to hold them and to feel the texture yeah. of them. Um, and my wife got me one for 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 Christmas years ago that I still use and. And um, they can really be like an heirloom yeah. item. I mean, this this thing's going to be around for the next hundred years or more, longer than we are for sure. Yeah, exactly. So uh, again, it's just something that of quality, um, and it's also practical. You yeah. can use it to everything from journaling to your to do list. So. Yeah, and this one is uh, definitely made out of cow, right? And so <laughs> not uh, vegan leather. Yeah, not no? vegan leather. Oh, and uh, it was uh, crafted in Oklahoma by a Catholic craftsman. So um, that just adds another uh, joy-filled element to it. But um, I'm a fan of, of journals as well. Obviously work to, to bring this to life. And, um, and yeah, that's something that we appreciate. I love the smell of them too, right? When you open them up, when you get that package for the first time and you just smell that leather. Full sensory experience. Yeah, it really is a full sensory experience. So anyways, thank you guys for joining us today. We appreciate you hanging with us all the way through this episode. And as we remind ourselves every time we end one of these episodes. Be a man, be a saint. <laughs>